2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 to 18. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now, in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be with you. Uh, My name again is Simon Manchester and of all the messages which are coming at us at the moment, how good it is to take in God's word. So we'll pray a short prayer to begin. Gracious God, what we know not, we pray you would teach us. What we have not, we pray you would give to us. What we are not, we pray you would make us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I read a story this week of a man who had been shipwrecked on a desert island all on his own, and as they were rescuing him, they noticed that he'd built three buildings, and they asked him what the three buildings were, and he said, well, the one over there is my house, Uh, the one next to it is the church, and the one next to it is the church that I left. Uh, We do, I think, have a sad, tragic ability, don't we, for tensions and divisions. And even Christians are perfectly capable of creating their share of divisions. The Apostle Paul felt this very deeply, and especially when a church turned against him, because if a church turned against him, it invariably turned against the truth of Christ. And this is the case that he's dealing with, with the Corinthian church, which we're looking at on these particular Sundays. Last week I mentioned that some troublemakers seem to have come into the Corinthian church and they're introducing some promises that have to do more with success and immediate success. And they're criticizing the Apostle Paul, therefore, for being unimpressive and for having answers that are just too far removed. And therefore, the Apostle Paul attacks their shallow faith, their superficial ideas. And he teaches again the great gospel ministry, which is deep and long and wide and high and eternal. Now, this uh, section of scripture we're looking at, 2 Corinthians 3 to 5, is extremely important uh, and vital You'll notice that our Western world thinks that Christianity is pretty unnecessary at the moment, and some even think it's unkind. But you'll notice that it also, in displacing Christianity, has put nothing in its place. 
it has no deep answers. The protests in the recent weeks have just created more tension, less cooperation. Uh, it strikes me that the sorry day, which is now 12 years back in 2008, has not really been heard or healed the wounds. Uh, people in our culture are trying to give themselves a lift in the best way they can by um, some activity or some humor or some substance, and then, of course, they just droop down again. And this is to say nothing of the great pit of death which is facing people and looms over almost everything we do, uh, whether people tragically die or eventually die. A friend of mine died this week just talking on the phone, suddenly called away. And it's into this situation that 2 Corinthians 3 to 5 is absolutely vital. Now, the text today is chapter 3, verses 7 to 18, which you had read for you. And I want to divide it into two points, two parts, and they go like this. The gospel is more wonderful than you think, verses 7 to 11, and the gospel is more necessary than you think, verses 12 to 18. First of all, the gospel of Jesus is more wonderful than you think. If you read these five verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 7 to 11, you'll see the word glory comes 10 times. We talk about glorious news every now and again, glorious news from the doctor, glorious news from the exams, glorious news if somebody finds a solution to the COVID-19 virus. And we say that the news of Christ is glorious news. It is glorious news and it makes everything else look ordinary. It reaches up to heaven and it reaches ahead into eternity. Some of you may remember hearing the gospel for the first time and you may remember saying to yourself, this is the best news I've ever heard. And I'd be surprised if anything has ever taken its place. I assure you that there will also come a day where we will find ourselves, if we belong to Christ, sailing through the judgment. And at that point, we'll say to ourselves, the best news I ever heard was the news of Jesus Christ. Well, you see in chapter 3, verse 5, as we saw last week, that there is a verse that has to do with the letter, which is what the false teachers were preaching, something to do with the letter, and the spirit, which the apostle Paul was preaching. The troublemakers had brought something into the church which is a kind of letter or regulation or responsibility or duty, or perhaps we would say religion. Uh, if they were reviving interest in the Ten Commandments, it wasn't so that you'd keep the commandments to be saved, but they were putting an emphasis on the letter as if it was all there really is. In other words, the faith, the religion of the intruders is just an outward thing. Uh, this troublemaker, you see, uh, who comes into the church in Corinth or might come into your church is not the sort of person who brings an extra in order to be saved. You know, you must be dot, dot, dot. You must do dot, dot, dot in order to be saved. That's not what Paul is dealing with. Paul's dealing with somebody who's reduced everything to just mere externals just formalities, just, we might say, good living. 
when I was a teacher at uh, a school many, many years ago, the headmaster said to me when I told him I was going off to the ministry, he said, well, why don't you come back as a chaplain? But just don't go on, he said, with any of that born-again rubbish. In other words, don't tell us about a new life. Just give us some morals. And Paul, you see, in the battle with these intruders, is not fighting what we call works. He's fighting what we might call nominalism or surface, shallow religion. And so he contrasts the, the outward message of Mount Sinai with the inward message of Christ. And I want to ask you, as you've heard these verses read, which do you think was the most glorious, the day of Mount Sinai or the day the Apostle Paul walked into Corinth? Which was the most glorious message? Uh, If I could put it like this, if you could get into a time machine and go back to Mount Sinai and see and hear and then get back in the time machine and go forward to the arrival of Paul in Corinth and see him come and preach the gospel, which was the most glorious? Now, of course, if you're looking for fireworks, the answer is Sinai. Lightning, thunder, the voice of God, the people calling out, stop, stop. But what do we see when we see the Apostle Paul walk into Corinth? We see a little man start to speak and speak about Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says, with no apology whatsoever, my visit to Corinth was more glorious than the day of Mount Sinai. Sinai was glorious. Yes, it was. But my visit to you was more glorious. Now, why does the Apostle Paul dare to say this? Well, the answer is in verses 7 to 11. And it's because the old covenant, that is the outward covenant, Chapter 3, verse 7, brought death. It only brought conviction. It didn't bring rescue. Chapter 3, verse 9, it brought condemnation. Chapter 3, verse 11, it was temporary. It was not the final word. But the new covenant, the inward covenant, chapter 3, verse 8, brings the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. As soon as you put your faith in Jesus, suddenly God is your Father, Jesus is your Savior, The Holy Spirit is your indweller, exactly at the same time. And then chapter 3, verse 9, he says, the new covenant brings righteousness at peace with God, right with God, in God's good books. And then chapter 3, verse 11, he says, this is forever, it's eternal. So Paul is not criticizing the old covenant. Let me make that clear. God was not doing something unkind with the old covenant. No, it was the love of God to prepare his people with the old covenant for the coming of the Savior. Just as an x-ray would get you perhaps ready to see a doctor, so the old covenant had its role in preparing people for Jesus. And I think it's fair to say that the world that we live in can only deal with externals. The religious world, that is the non-Christian religious world, is really dealing with externals. There is no coming of the Holy Spirit. There is no peace with God. There is no eternal assurance. The religions of the world deal with externals. And the wisdom of the secular world deals with externals as well. Things that will ultimately just kill, condemn and fail you. It's only Jesus who will bring to you the Holy Spirit, new life, make you right with God, 
ready for eternity. And the Apostle Paul is very clever in these verses because now the Corinthians have to choose. Is Paul talking the truth or is he talking rubbish? Uh, They have to ask themselves this question. Do we want outward stuff which did fail to bring life and hope? Or is it perfectly true that when the Apostle Paul walked into our city and preached in our city and we listened and believed that new life came to us and we received the Spirit of God, right with God, hope forever? So Paul, you see, is forcing them to make a decision and realize that he is speaking the truth. Now, friends, I want to just say to you again, just know for sure that the world, which is blind cannot really get this. The the world only thinks in surface. And if you do ministry, whether you're a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or you're running a Bible study or looking after your family or whatever you're doing, you need to know that it's the message of Jesus that brings life right with God and hope. Many years ago, the uh, Sydney Morning Herald had a writer for religious affairs And she was really very anti-Christian. She didn't seem to understand Christianity. She never represented Christianity properly. And I wrote a letter into the Herald. It was a bit of a sarcastic letter, I must confess. And it basically said, look, why have you chosen somebody who doesn't understand Christianity, who keeps attacking Christianity, when you wouldn't choose somebody who's blind to do your art reporting and you wouldn't choose somebody who's deaf to do your music reporting? Well, within 24 hours, she rang me at my desk. She said, what's, what's your problem? You know, what don't you like about what I'm writing? And I said, if you don't mind me saying you don't have the faculties to really understand. You need to come to, to Christ to understand Christ. And if you'd like to have lunch, I'd be very happy to explain. Well, of course, she had no real interest. And we have to keep going with the ministry of Christ because uh, this is the ministry which is going to bring people a brand new life and get them ready for eternity. And if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to assure you that you must this week lift up your head and say, I'm so thankful that in all the changes and all the difficulties, a brand new life has come to me. I'm now at peace with God. He sees me as his friend and child, and I'm ready for the future. So that's the first thing. The gospel is more wonderful than you think and than, than I think. Secondly, the gospel is more necessary than you think. Verses 12 to 18. Now, Paul says, as soon as you understand this, as soon as you see that the message of Jesus is what's going to change the heart and get people with God and for eternity, you become very bold. He says this in chapter 3, verse 12. We become very bold. We can't go to sleep at this point. Paul says, borrowing a moment in history, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and his face was shining with the glory of God and he veiled his face to stop the Israelites from being afraid at the brightness, the Apostle Paul says he was not only veiling his face to save the Israelites from the brightness, but he was saving them from seeing the fading. Chapter 3, verse 13 He veiled his face, says Paul, so that they would not see what was a fading glory, an outward fading glory. So it was a double sadness when Paul 
uh, speaks of Moses coming down from Mount Sinai because Moses is veiling his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing something that's fearful but is passing. And Paul borrows this and he says in chapter 3 verse 14, do you understand that there is a veil, there's a cloth veil which Moses put over his face, but everybody who listens to law, listens to old covenant, listens to religion, listens to letter, has a spiritual veil, a, a, a kind of a blindness, and it's absolutely true. Earlier this year, I was at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, and I asked some of the Jewish young men what the grief was at the wall. What is the wailing at the wall for? And, you know, they were completely divided. They really had no idea between them what the wailing was for. The best they could come up with was that there was some wailing for the suffering of the past and the hope that there might be a better future. That's all they could really say. And I wonder whether you think a person today who's listening to the world give instructions or regulations or education or motivation or moralism, do you think any of that is going to bring life eternal? It won't. It's a veil. It doesn't open eyes or open hearts at all. But, says Paul in chapter 3, verse 14, in Christ, the veil goes and the life comes. Again, in chapter 3, verse 16, he says, when someone turns to the Lord, no veil, freedom. There's a great 3.16 for you. We often talk about John 3.16, God so loved the world. Here's a 2 Corinthians 3.16, turn to the Lord. That's the gospel. Turn to the Lord. And there will be the lifting of the veil and the freedom and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So the apostle goes on to say uh, the experience for the Christian is not that we have a fading glory like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai but because we've come to Christ there is a brightening glory it is as if the believer with a new life is being renewed is renewed every day and on and on till the likeness of Christ I hope friends as you consider this wonderful gospel you will say to yourself again and again through the week, look for all the problems that I have and all the silly thoughts that come to my head and all the challenges in front of me. In my heart, the new life through Christ. As I lift up to God in heaven, he has taken the barrier away and sees me as a beloved child. And as I look forward, that death is just a door through to glory. In, up, on. The gospel is absolutely wonderful and necessary. I wonder whether this message has become a little stale for you, and I wonder why it's become stale for you. As I reflect on my own heart and life, I think that it's often because it's the divided heart which makes me stale. I lose the joy of fellowship with Christ because of this compromising life. Or is it that there has been lots of shallow attention to the word of God, but lots of concentrated attention to television and things that are not that important. If you're in a desert time in your spiritual life, it can be a very wonderful time because it can make you more thirsty for Christ, to seek him more carefully, more faithfully, more joyfully, and to cause your faith to get keener. 
Well, this is really the message of 1 Corinthians 3 this morning, and I hope you'll remember these two things. Number one, the gospel is more wonderful than we think it is. Number two, the gospel is more necessary than we think it is. In my paper this week, I read of somebody called Steve Bing, who had apparently $600 million to his name. He had his own jet. He had all the prettiest girls in the world. And yet it's only a couple of weeks ago that he took himself to the veranda of his 27th floor of the hotel that he was living in and jumped to his death. Everything the world could possibly offer, all the surface things, but nothing inside, no peace with God, no future. It seems that he was desperate. And this gospel message, which we have been privileged to hear, is more wonderful and more necessary than anything we can possibly offer to the world. Let's bow our heads and pray. We thank you, our gracious God, for bringing to our ears this wonderful message of Christ, to turn to Christ. We thank you for the gift of your spirit, new life, the gift of righteousness, of being right with you, and of eternity, a future, a hope, forever. We ask that you would help us to appreciate this and we ask that you would help us to communicate this in the way we live and speak. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.